right, if you have your Bibles, we will be in the book of Acts chapter 18, um, and we're going to start to pick up some speed, uh, not so much today, but over the next few weeks as our game plan is to finish up the book of Acts by um, summer's start. So uh, by the end of uh, next month, May, our game plan is to have worked through uh, the book of Acts. And so, um, but if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Uh, that's what we'll be, uh, and I'll get there here in just a few moments. Um, a couple things I forgot to mention uh, during prayer time, uh, be praying for Tyler and Olivia uh, in Little Adelaide. They've got the stomach bug, and so they're at home this morning um, and fighting through that. And so I said, please stay there. Um, we are a sharing, giving church, but we don't want to share in that way. Um, and so they're, they're at home this morning. Be praying for them. And then also um, had a conversation this week. Stan Samples, um, him and his wife Lisa, they come here. And so uh, Stan's mom passed away uh, this week. And so be praying for him and uh, that family. Uh, he said he'd be back on the road uh, this morning working. And so uh, just, just be praying for them uh, as, as they uh, uh, mourn the loss of a loved one. And so... Uh, that's something that I didn't want to forget to mention. And then also, how about last week, right? Easter? I mean, holy cow, is that not awesome? Uh, yeah, we can clap. That's good. Yeah. When, when God rescues and redeems, I mean, we always want to celebrate that. And so I, I, I just, and I, there'll be an Easter I never forget. Um, there's been conversation going on in my home for, uh, where's my wife? She's not there. Um, over, back there she is, for probably about, what, over a year, year and a half uh, with our little boy. Just, man, I, he wants Jesus. He wants Jesus. And so we've just been very patient. And then this little guy, that's, he's not here now, but he sat there Sunday and he stands up and it's just like 30 seconds later, my little guy stood up and I'm just like, oh, like I about lost it, you know? And I'm just, and it's something that God's been working. But I think the cool thing for me as a parent is that I got to have conversation this week with um, uh, a mom of the kid that sat next to my little boy. And, and, and he was talking about how you could just see him kind of like, like he, stood, he stood up and he sat right back down and he's like he's just fidgeting and antsy and he just knew and there was no coercing none of that stuff and he just said man I want Jesus and so I just I, I, I was just I lost it as a dad inside it took everything I had to compose myself and keep it together and so that's that's what this whole thing's about church that's why we gather here this morning for God to rescue and redeem for God to show us of our great need of him to remind us of our great need of him and so we gather in this place this morning to lift up his name to make much of him to let him know that we acknowledge and know and realize that we definitely need him so by the way that we sing our songs by the way that we pray by the time we spend uh, doing everything that we do in this place it's just a great reminder of who he is and what he's done for us and, and, and by the way that's exactly what we're seeing in the book of Acts as we've trekked through the book of Acts and we land at chapter 18 this morning, that's exactly what we've seen throughout this whole book. Uh, two weeks ago as we looked at chapter 17 and you see Paul having this conversation with some people in Athens. Athens was just this uh, amazing place that was dedicated to the gods. Of course, none of them living gods, None of them gods that could do anything, but it was a place that was dedicated to these gods. And so he engages them in their culture and their world. And normally what we see is him engaging with the gospel first, but he doesn't go gospel first. Instead, he has cultural conversation with them. He engages them where they're at. And then after he works through that, he brings the gospel to them, which is completely different than what he's done in every other place that he's been. And so he starts where they're at and he moves to the gospel. And we close by looking at, at verse 34 of chapter 17. And this, this is what it says. I just want to read it again because I believe this is good. And I believe it's something that we need to, to get a hold of. But, but he said this, this is how we closed out two weeks ago, but some men joined him and believed. It wasn't they believed and then joined, but no, they joined him. They attached themselves, they followed, they, they listened, and then after that, they became his disciples and eventually believed. And I just love how that works. Nobody just got saved on the spot. 
Instead, they, they follow along and they, they, they want to hear what he's talking about, what he's saying. And so we just looked at how that's often the win for us in our world today. Maybe we engage somebody at work. Maybe we engage somebody in our neighborhood. And we start to have conversation with them. And as we have conversation, they kind of follow and listen. And so maybe it's inviting them to, to read the Bible together or pray together or go have lunch once a week and just talk about this Jesus guy and see what's going on and who he is and what he's about. Engage them a little bit, uh, all centered around the cross. And then eventually God rescues them and saves them in their sin and from their sin. And so if you missed that or any of the talks from the book of Acts or even Easter last week, you can catch all those online. They'll be up. But I'm gonna ask you this morning if you would join me as we pray. And then as, as we uh, pray, then we'll, we'll jump into where we're gonna be. So God, we love you, Jesus. We thank you. God, of the two requests that I've even mentioned here this morning, the West family, God, and Stan and his family, Lord, we pray that you move and speak. God, make your presence known there. Heal, God, the hurt, God, the sickness, God, everything going on there in those families. We pray that you move. And God, this morning, as we look at your word, Jesus, we pray that you remind us of how great and how good and how glorious you are. God, from the baby dedication this morning in this place to the songs that we've sung, God, to the time we spend in your word, Lord Jesus, may it be all about you always. And so, God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would engage us, that he would move in a mighty way, God, that he would, uh, God, I'm gonna pray for the same thing that I pray every week, and God, I'm gonna beg you, allow your Holy Spirit to reveal in the hearts of this room whether they belong to Jesus or they don't. And so, God, in that, I pray that you save the lost here this morning. God, I pray that you encourage the discouraged. God, I pray that you uh, uh, just corral and bring back maybe the one that's stuck in sin or, or, or dabbling in sin. God, I pray that you show them and reveal to them that you are so much better and greater. And so, God, we thank you for your word, your revealed will to us. God, we thank you so much for all that you've done. Jesus, we celebrate Easter this morning just as much as we did last week. Thank you for the fact that the grave is empty. Thank you for being who you said you are. In the name we pray, amen. And so there's a little, very little talk that's usually geared around the truth within the Christian faith uh, that believers and those who live out ministry are just subject to discouragement. And so this morning, just to lay it all out there, we're gonna talk about discouragement. We're gonna see uh, here in the story some of that take off right at the very beginning. And so uh, I've got a quote I wanna read to you. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, is what he is dubbed, uh, says this. He says, good men are promised tribulation in this world. And ministers may, may expect a large, larger share than others. And so I just want to venture off for a second and kind of just, uh, not that I want to add to Charles Spurgeon because I don't really know if I could do that, but, but I want just anybody in ministry. Uh, we, we, we are promised tribulation. We are promised difficulties. We are promised uh, the dark coming after us, all of those things. And, and it says, and, and ministers may expect a larger share than others. So anybody that engages in the word of God, engages in ministry in this world, whether you're a, a, a small group leader, discipleship development leader, whether you're a, a leader in the children's ministry or youth ministry, or you're just walking out discipleship within uh, your circle of influence. I mean, you're, it's gonna happen, so he says, all of that happens that they may learn sympathy with the Lord's suffering people and so may be fitting shepherds of an ailing flock. That's the whole point of it. God is shaping us and molding us into the image of his beloved son. And so sometimes we have to go through difficulty. Sometimes we have to go through discouragement. Sometimes we have to walk through that because in that God shapes us and refines us and molds us. And so what we see in the scriptures this morning is that the apostle Paul is absolutely no different at all. Here at the very beginning of Acts, we find him maybe at a low point of his grueling ministry. And I don't know how familiar you are with the Apostle Paul, but man, he did ministry like none other. He did ministry full on. There was no reserve, there was no holding back. 
And he did ministry much different than we do ministry. I mean, he was engaged in people's lives. He was engaged in conversations centered around the gospel as often as he could. I mean, he was, he was healing the sick. He was going from place to place, being beaten and abused. I mean, he went through so much. And so what we know is he's on his second missionary journey. And it's his second missionary journey is one that's been tough. And so when you think missionary journey, don't think like we do. We jump in a car and we go to a place or we get in a van with our team and we go or we jump on a plane and we go to the ends of the earth. That's, that's not how it works here. This man spends his life walking around telling people about Jesus, landing in a certain city or a certain town, and he starts to raise up men and women for the gospel. And as he raises them up, he plants churches. And as he plants churches and pours into these men and women, then he moves on to the next place to do it all over again and eventually circles back to home base to report of all that God's done, to, to be encouraged and raised back up. But that's what Paul is doing. So he's out on his second, second missionary journey. And what we know so far on his second missionary journey is that he's healed a demon-possessed girl there in Philippi. And as a result of that, what happens? He gets beaten and thrown in jail, in prison. And then he's forced to leave the city. And so he goes on to Thessalonica where things go pretty good. And then he goes to Berea. And when he's in Berea, he's persecuted. And that persecution forces him to flee and get out. And so that's the reality of his ministry most of the time. Paul goes into hostile places and tells people of the love and hope found in Jesus and they run him out of town. They want nothing to do with it. Why? Because that flies contrary to everything that this world stands for. Everything that this world stands for. And people don't want that. The darkness does not like the light. And so as we looked at a few weeks ago, his brilliant speech in defense of Christianity it had largely been ignored. So what does he do? He leaves, he leaves and he heads for Corinth. So I can just imagine that the Apostle Paul here in this moment is, is a little worn out, a little beaten down in his soul. And so my question for you is, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been through something like that? And so what I want to do, this is where we get a little bit interactive, and this is uh, 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 by no way in a means to, to catch you. or I'm not, There's no trickery here. I just want to ask you, anybody been discouraged in the last month? Oh, Lord help us. Good. I, okay, man, honesty is good. All right, what about the last, last three months? Six months, hold your hands up. If, anytime if you've been discouraged in the last six months, look around. No, no, I mean, like, I mean, like, like look, look, you look over here, you look over there, turn around, I mean, do whatever you gotta do, stand up. I mean, you see hands, right? And, and I do that to show us, hey man, we're all not so different. Whether the discouragement come from relationship or job or environment or culture, whatever it is, we're all not that different. We all go through difficult times. We all feel beat up and worn out, even maybe in doing the right thing or saying the right thing, only at the end of it all, maybe get the wrong deal, maybe get terminated or put out. I mean, I can't tell you how many times in ministry that I've invested and poured into and shared with and walked with and loved and uh, invested all of those things, time, energy, effort, only to have the one that you're investing in walk away and want nothing to do with it or go off the deep end and act however they want to act. So it's there. If that's ministry, I mean, just life is in general is the same way, is it not? Relationships are hard and we are constantly engaged in relationships at work, at home, uh, in our community, everywhere. And so this morning, like I said, I just want to tackle the thought of discouragement. And, and I just believe that Paul will model for us some of the things that we, we can do that will help us Help us walk through discouragement. And from what I've gathered this morning, my hand raised as well, we all need it. And so just uh, to put this out there, we're gonna be very Baptist this morning. And so what I mean by very Baptist this morning is this, is that I've got three points. Yeah, 
That's right. No poem, so if I come up with something in the middle, you'll, you'll, I'll be sure and let you know, but, but we're gonna have three points this morning that, that we're just gonna pull right from the scripture as we walk through, and the very first point is gonna be this. Paul pressed into right, real relationship. So the first thing that we're gonna look at here this morning in Acts chapter 18, verse two, is that Paul presses into right, real relationships, and I'll explain that more here in just a moment. So we got Paul's struggle that was intense because he had to bear it alone. He's gonna be in Corinth by himself. We've got Silas and we've got Timothy who were not with Paul at this time yet, not here in Corinth, and so what he does is is he's by himself ministering and going, and so I can just imagine that that him being uh, alone like that could be very difficult. And so what we know about us is this, is that we're created as relational beings. That you and I in this room were created for relationship. And we were created for relationship in two ways. One being that with God. That, that every single one of us in this room has got, and I know this is so like cliche-ish and church-ish, right? If we're gonna do the Baptist thing, let's just do it all the way. So, so, the, the, so cliche-ish and church talk, but we've got this perfect God-sized hole in our heart, in our soul, and so there's, there's this part of us that needs relationship and the greatest relationship that every single one of us in this room needs is that of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us. And so we try to fit and cram and put so many other things, family, spouses, job, uh, success, happiness, all of those things we try to fit in that, in that God-shaped hole in our soul and what happens? It leaves us empty and wanting more. That's why we jump from thing to thing so often because they don't satisfy, they don't complete us and the only one that does that is Jesus. So the greatest relational need in our life first and foremost is God and the second one is others. The second one is, is the horizontal relationship. We need people in our life who's gonna love us, walk with us, hold us accountable, care for us. We were created relationally. Think about it over in Genesis as God creates and he steps back and he looks and says that it's good. But when he gets to man, he does not say that, does he? Well, because there's something missing. And so what does he do? He creates for him a wife, Eve. And so as he creates Eve, now he says that this is good. Well, because it wasn't meant for man to live alone, but he already had a relationship with God. Wasn't that enough? Yes and no. Relationship with God is always no, but it doesn't stop there because relationship with God f should flow out with right relationship with other people. And so that's what we see happen in the story of God. And so that's what, that's what Paul needs here. He's got relationship with God, but he's alone now. And hear me, anytime we're, we're um, set aside and we are alone, Satan will try to attack. Satan will try to throw us off. Satan will bring discouragement. He'll bring difficulties. It, it is not a good place for us to be alone by ourselves. We were not created to live on an island, but we were created to live relationally with God and with each other. And so check out what happens here at Paul. The first thing he does, verse two, it says, and he found he found, so he, he was looking for something, right? So any, when you find something, it's because there, there's an awareness or there's a need or there's something going on. And so the very first thing we do is we see find, Paul and he finds something. He, well, look at what he finds. It says, a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews leave Rome. And so what we see here is simply this, is that he finds relationship first off with a husband and wife. And it says this, that he went to see them. So what we see here is he finds people of like minds. 
He finds people of like minds. That's the right part, and we'll get to that here in a moment. But I think we just need to talk for a moment because of our culture, because of the world we're in, has kind of uh, uh, muddied up the water for us when it comes to relationships. So I think the most loving way that I can do is kind of attack that and try to show us how false it is because of our culture and of our world. Um, and so the most loving thing I can tell you this morning is, is just because you've got Facebook friends doesn't mean that you really have friends. Because you've got five million followers doesn't mean that you've got five million people that are for you and love you and care about you. You've just got five million people that are interested to see what the heck are you doing and how are you gonna mess up one day? Or how can I live vicariously through you? Just because you have friends on, on social media doesn't mean that you have friends at all. That's so false, is it not? What do we know about that? We know that those little blips of a second or what, just the good things that happen or the things that we want to project for everyone else to see so that they can either think that we're successful or think that we're good or think that we've got it all together. We just, we just project those things out there. And, and I think the example that I've always given to kind of uh, debunk this is if you've got the iPhone, you know the live feature on your photos, you should shut that off because that ruins it. Have you ever sent like a photo to a family member and in sending that photo to the family member, they get the live version too, so there's like this three second blurt before you get to the good part of the picture. And usually it's mom in the background screaming, swearing everything, but the, you know, to get the kid to, like I experienced this, like we had those pictures for, and if you haven't got your pictures yet, they'll be out in the lobby from Easter. And so, which was a great picture. Carol, thank you so much. It was a good calm way for us to get pictures for a second, because when we get home, then we gotta do our family pictures at the house. And it's so funny, and I'm gonna tell you, I love you, baby, but, but like, 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 she, like, we want the perfect picture every time, you know? And like, you've, if you've got a seven-year-old now and a three-year-old, th that's impossible. So you've gotta shut off that little feature of that little blurb that, that shows you what happens before you get to that one good little picture for that one millisecond that you just happen to snap it. But that's what Facebook is, that's what Instagram is, that's what social media does. It's not right, real relationship. That's not the place to do it. Not there, that's not what it looks like. And it just blows my mind that the culture we've created around this whole social media thing. No, no, I've got, I've got 1,500 friends. No, you don't. You can't do relationship with 1,500 people. That's impossible. The greatest man I know had 12 in an inner circle of three. He's God in the flesh, and if he can't do it, there's no way that we can do it. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a lot of people in our life, that we shouldn't be loving a lot of people and doing life with a lot of, that's not what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is simply this, is that our inner circle, our real right relationships need to be with people that, who love us and care for us that we can rub shoulders with. We need someone or someones that really know us and can press into us. We desperately need accountability people that's gonna pray for us, that's gonna lift us up, that's gonna ask us those difficult life questions that are gonna help propel us to the reality of who Jesus Christ is. Help us to walk holy in our walk with the Lord. We need people to ask us those questions. And all I know is because I do the social media thing too is that, that there's not anybody that sends me weekly messages. So how, how's your quiet time? How are you doing pursuing the Lord? How are you doing loving your kids? What about your wife? Are you loving her like Jesus? But I do have people in my life that I talk to weekly that ask me those questions. We need right, real relationship with, with people that will look us in the eye and will ask us those questions, that will rub shoulders with us. And that's what we see happen here with Paul. He finds this husband and wife team and they became some of Paul's closest friends. See, the book of Romans is gonna tell us that they eventually uh, ended up risking their lives for him. 
So there's this connection with them, this relational connection with them, whereby they're willing to, to risk and jeopardize their well-being. And so what we know about them is this, is that it's believed that they were already believers when they met Paul, that they'd already come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior before they, they, they meet Paul here. And so when I talk like-minded, that's what I'm talking about. Right, real, the right relationship is those that are like-minded. We need those who are on the same wavelength as us. We need those who are walking in the, the same way that we're walking. Why? Because as believers, our whole outlook on life, our whole system by which we live, our whole, our, our whole understanding of everything is different than the world's, is it not? It's completely contrary. So certain situations dictate certain answers from the word of God for us in our life. Whether we like it or we don't like it. There are certain ways that we're to respond and be and do that, that, that match up with the word of God. The world doesn't see it that way. By the way, the world doesn't even care if we do it that way. The world's mentality, the world's thinking is whatever's best for you, whatever helps you get ahead, whatever makes you happy, you, 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 that's what the world tells us, that's what the world shares with us, that's what the world wants us to believe. And so one of those understandings to try to illustrate what I'm talking about is simply this, one of those sayings of the world is I don't get mad, but I get what? Even, oh, look at you worldly people. And that wasn't even like a setup, you just did that on your own. God help us. No, but, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, is that not the reality of the world that we live in? I don't get mad. I'll just get even. I'll one-up them. I'll get one, one better. And so I can remember a time in my life when I was at that place. Oh, I was at that place, dark place. I'd been treated wrong. I'd been taken advantage of, abused. And so I'm at that place, and I can remember going out and having lunch with two ministry buddies. And these two ministry buddies were well aware of what had happened in my life. So I'm sitting there and I'm eating and we get to talking, just kind of shallow, like fun stuff at first. And then they, they do that thing where they start to go deeper. So brother, tell me, how's your heart? And isn't that always just a loaded question? But I knew where they were wanting to go. So I said, okay, we'll, we'll go there. So I'm struggling a little bit right now, a little frustrated and aggravated. I actually am at a place where I cannot wait to meet the guy that done me wrong. And they're like, really? I said, yeah. And, and so I know that they'd been through some stuff in ministry where they'd been mistreated and they'd been hurt and things like that. And so, I, so I'm like, I am just like rallying the wagons, man. You know, like I'm waiting for that, that pat on the shoulder, like, yeah, brother, get him. And so like, so what do you think you're gonna do? I said, I don't know what I'm gonna do, but it's gonna be good when I see this guy. They're like, really? I said, yeah. And it was just a setup, it was a ploy. And so what they said is like, um, so the one guy says, well, I know exactly what you're gonna do. And I'm thinking, okay, this guy's been through something similar before, so, so, so tell me, what, what's really good? Because I'm thinking he's gonna give me some insight onto how to really cut somebody deep, long and wide, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, so, so give me the insight. And he's like, Scott, what you're gonna do is this is exactly what Jesus would. There goes the air out of the room. Are you kidding me? I couldn't say it out loud, but I was thinking in my mind, why in the world would I wanna do that? You know what I'm talking about. You've been discouraged in the last six months. You know what I mean? Hurt, frustrated, aggravated. And so I can remember him telling me that. He's like, Scott, you'll do exactly what Jesus would do. And I just ducked my head. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're right. What is that? Please tell me all the good things that Jesus would do for that person that is horrific and awful. And so he begins to share and says, show love, you're gonna show grace, and you're gonna pray for that person. And it's not my heart, do I have to? And so in that, what the Holy Spirit starts to do is starts to work me over, starts to grow me and shape me, mature me, and do a work in my heart. Because my response in that moment was anything but what they were telling me. But what did I experience there? I'd experienced right, real relationship. I'd experienced people that loved me enough to challenge me, to, to press into me, 
to say things to me that I didn't want to hear in that moment. And hear, hear me, church, that's what we need. When we're discouraged, when we're frustrated, when we're down and out, we need people that are going to be in right, real relationship, who are focused around the reality, reality of what the Bible says, of who Jesus is and what he has said. And we need to be in a real relationship where we're walking with people, where we can sit across from a table, or we can sit in a living room, or on a couch with somebody, and they can share with us the truth, the hard truth that we don't want to hear about who Jesus is and what he's called us to do. See, I didn't want any of that, but I knew I needed it. I didn't like that conversation, but you know what happens? I walk away and the Holy Spirit does his work of, of drawing me, of revealing some things in me that, that I need to work on, that I need to press into. And then look at how verse three says. It says this, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So Paul ends up staying with them and working with them for a bit, which brings us to our second point. Our second point is this, Paul didn't quit, but he kept on doing what God had called him to do. So when he was discouraged, he didn't just hang it up, he didn't just check out, he didn't just stop, he didn't just quit life. No, what he does is he presses in and he continues to do what God had called him to do. We are so quick to just disconnect and walk away. It didn't go the way that I thought it should go. Well, guess what? You're not God and you're not in control. And hear me, nothing frustrates him, nothing upsets him, nothing throws him off. The big fancy word we use is, is he's sovereign. He's in control of all things, and even in what we think is horrific or bad or something that's not pleasing to us, God is still working and doing something in those situations. So Paul doesn't hit the panic button or the pout button or the woe is me button, but instead he keeps doing what God has called him to. Verse four says, and he reasoned in a synagogue every Sabbath. When? Every Sabbath. Why? Because that's what he had been doing before. So he didn't just quit. He, he presses in and continues to do what God was doing, what God had called him to do. And look at what it says. So he's reasoning in the synagogues every Sabbath and he tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. And so what this denotes here in the scripture is dialogue. He engages them in conversation, centered around the gospel. The gospel was the main concern of Paul. And so that's what he does. He was still filled with questions and engaged in conversation, but it's all about getting toward the gospel. Church, that's what we need to be doing. Even in our discouragement, even in our frustration, even in our aggravation, God can still work and do and use us because what I know is simply this. Every hand that went up that's been discouraged in the last six months, there's another hand in this room that went up too. Now think about it for a moment, the world that we're living in. Think about how much discouragement you walk by day in and day out. Think about maybe how much discouragement that you sit next to day in and day out at your job, at your place, in your, in your subdivision, in your community, wherever it is that you go. Think about how much discouragement that's out there. And think of how God could use you in a mighty way to help bring about the opposite of discouragement, which is encouragement. Even through our discouragement, God can still work and use and do and that's what we see Paul doing here. This is just what we need to be about. This is what we need to be about. This is what we need to do. We need to be assessing and seeing where people are at. And we need to be working on getting them to where they need to be, which is closer to Jesus. That's what we're to do. Look at verse five. It says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, so finally Paul's buddies, they, they get back. His, his accomplices get there for the gospel and they're there for backup. And so God reunites them. But it says that Paul was occupied with the word. Paul wasn't in the corner sulking. Paul wasn't out there pouting. Paul wasn't ready to take his ball home and head back to home base. But Paul is still in that place, even though he may be discouraged, frustrated, aggravated, whatever the feelings is, he continues to do what God has called him to do. Why? Because his feelings, church, hear me, we need to get this. His feelings are so much smaller compared to what God has planned for him. His 
feelings are so much smaller and obsolete compared to the glory and prestige of our God being made known. So he sets those feelings aside. And I'm not saying it's not good or right for us to have feelings or for us to press into those feelings. But hear me, the end means it's not us. It's not about was Scott happy today or was Scott okay today or how did Scott feel about, who cares about how I feel about whatever I'm going through. It's about the glory and honor of God being made known and me pressing into. And what I've learned is the more I press into, the more my perspective starts to change. Because whenever I start to disengage and walk away, and sit in the corner by myself and start to sulk. Oh man, I can, I can play a heck of a tune for Scott. You know what I'm saying? Oh, woe is me. Woe is me. Man, I've been this or that's happened or it should have went like this. All the while God's saying, man, there's something bigger. And hear me, even in the discouragement or the frustration or the difficulty, Scott, I'm doing a greater work. And, and what does it do for his glory and honor whenever we suffer well, church? Oh, what does it do for his great name when we're drugged through the mud and we come out on the other side giving glory and honor to him? Who cares? Who Paul says this all the time. Just read the book of Philippians. It's the book of joy as he is chained in a prison to a guard. I mean, I mean, think about that for a moment. He's in prison and it's not like a, a three meal a day prison with color TV and couches and you get some yard time. No, yard time is, uh, I don't even know what the illustration here, but, but yard time's not good time. There is no yard time. No, it's horrific is what it is. And still he has got joy immensely found in Jesus. Verse five says, so they arrive uh, from Macedonia and Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they had opposed and reviled him, there they go again, they're against it, wanting nothing to do with who Paul is preaching. And so in the original language here, it's this thought of a, to arrange in battle array. And so they organize themselves in such a way, they, they get together and come together in such a way to fight against Paul's teaching. And look at what he does. It says that he shook out his garments. See, this act symbolizes his rejection of the Jews. That's what it does. It showed that he just, he, how he despised their blasphemy, how he despised the position they were in. And he says to them, your blood be on your heads. What he's doing is he's telling them that he, they're fully responsible for what they're doing. This is on you. If you want to act that way and go that direction, and all I'm doing is trying to tell you, trying to show, trying to walk, all of those things, then your blood be on your own head. That's on you. I mean, he had tried warning them, but their hearts were just so hard, they wanted nothing to do with the message. And look at what he says. He says, I am innocent. He did his part. He shared truth. Uh, again, just like I've said here this morning, we, we can't save not one person, but we present the message of the one who can save. He says, from now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. Verse seven, and he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. And listen to this, I love this. His house was next door to the synagogue, the very place where he'd been proclaiming and preaching Jesus. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed the Lord and together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. If he'd been over in the corner pouting, if he'd been over in the corner disengaged, if he would have kept doing what God had called him to do, we may not have that story this morning in the scriptures. We may not have this encouragement this morning that because Paul was focused and continued even in the difficulty, even in the struggle, because he focused not on his circumstances and situation, but on his savior and as a result of that, he continues to do what he does and what does God do? God honors that and blesses that to the point of people getting to know Jesus as their savior. The third point I wanna look at is this, is let God be God and do what he does. Let God be God and let him do what he does, which is to encourage in moments of discouragement. 
That's what God does. He encourages in moments of discouragement. He gives us just what we need for the moment that we're in. And so if we just press into the Lord and just seek him in our time of discouragement, he will do for us, I guarantee you, he will do for us all that he's promised. Jeremy, if we press in and we seek him, even in times of discouragement, even in times of, of difficulty, difficulty, and you, you've got to hear what I'm saying, he will do for us all that he has promised. The trouble is when we believe him and press him to do things that he's never promised. Let, let, me, let me try to illustrate. Verse nine says this, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you or harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. So, so let me use that for a moment to kind of point out and prove what I just said. That God will do for us what he's promised, but we can't press on him to do things that he's never promised for us. So my question is this, at the very beginning there in verse nine, who is the Lord talking to? Who does the Lord show up to? Paul, that's right. He shows up to Paul. So who is he talking? He's talking to Paul. So who is the promise made to? Paul, Absolutely. Not trick questions, easy here, I promise. I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you. So he, he's talking to Paul. So does this verse even apply to us? Yeah, absolutely it implies to us, very much so. And so we can draw things out of it to do that, that apply to us today in our world. We can do that. But there's certain things in this scripture, in this text that do not apply to us that was written specifically for Paul in this moment. But there's application that we can draw. Let, let, let me show you first two things. First thing is this. We can believe and we can claim the promises that were made to Paul like this. Do not be afraid. Scripture's clear with that, right? As believers, we have nothing to fear. No one can hurt us or harm us beyond God. What we know is this. Is, is in this scripture, it says that, that um, they continue to speak about Jesus. Well, we know in the scriptures, we need to be doing that too. So there's another thing that we can draw. Don't be afraid, tell people about Jesus. And the third promise that we see here made specifically for Paul that applies to us is too, is that God is with us. God's with Paul. All the while, God is with us as well in our world today. Wherever we go, whatever we do, he is everywhere at all times. And for us as a believer, he lives in us. He's the very place by his Holy Spirit where he takes up residence and he lives in us. So he's always with us. So there are three promises that we can claim to. Don't be afraid, tell people about Jesus, and that God's gonna be with you. But we've gotta be careful not to proof text. And we've gotta be careful not to make this about us what was never meant to be made about us. So God's message for Paul here in this situation was that he would not be attacked. Don't be afraid. I'm not gonna let them attack you. So for us, as we go out, we've gotta be very, very careful because hear me, God didn't make that promise for us here right now in this moment. God makes that promise here to Paul as he is in Corinth. So we've got to be very careful not to pray. But God said we would never be attacked. No, no. God told Paul that he wouldn't be attacked in this circumstance, in this situation, in this time here in Corinth. Because what we see in scriptures, there's times where Paul's attacked. Right? He just got done being attacked in Philippi. He heals a demon-possessed prostitute girl. And what happens? He gets attacked. He gets beaten, thrown in prison. So what this promise means is for Paul in this moment... It's not an all ongoing promise that's gonna happen every time, but in this moment, same thing for us, church. There are times where God will speak certain things to our heart and encourage us and say certain things to us, and in those moments, that's what happens. But we've gotta be careful, not pull from and make the scripture say what it never was intended to say. And so I just wanna circle back for a moment to the point earlier. That's why it's so important to have in our lives, those that will give us godly counsel, even if it stings a bit. I, I like to liken it to this, real friends versus American Idol friends. 
And what I mean by American Idol friends is if you've ever watched that show, and like the first like week and a half, two weeks are of people who cannot sing a lick. It would like be me trying out and be like, yeah, we want this guy on the show. And they actually think that they're good and that they can sing and that they can do it. And then what happens? The, the, the judges just make fun of and they just pick at him and poor Ryan Seacrest is ter- like, oh, he tries to be all consoling and good to him when, when really they couldn't sing to save their life. That, that would be me. That, that, why would you let your friend go to American Idol unless you hated them if they couldn't sing? You know what I'm saying? Why would you do that to them? And so what I'm talking about here is that we need real friends. Friends are gonna step up and they're gonna tell us the truth whether we wanna hear it or not. They're gonna encourage us and love that way and tell us the truth but continue to walk with us even through the difficulty of us hearing that hard truth. And then look at what happens with Paul. He says this, he says, and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. As a result of being obedient to God, as a result of trusting God's promises, don't be afraid. Speak Jesus. God's going to be with you. Oh, and don't worry about it. Nobody's going to hurt you because I've got a number of believers there. And I'm doing a work in you and I've got something that I need to accomplish in you. So you just do what I tell you. I mean, how encouragement is that? How much encouragement is that in the midst of discouragement? The fact that God spoke to him and said, look, dude, just, he probably didn't say, dude, that's my rendering. But he says, don't be afraid. I mean, think about how we need to hear that this morning, church. Whatever circumstance you're in, whatever situation, don't be afraid. You have nothing to fear because nothing can happen to you outside the providential care of God. Nothing. God is in the middle of it with you. Think about that and just continue to tell people about Jesus. Paul, you keep doing what I told you to do, man. And what I told you to do is tell every single person you come in contact with about me. Oh, and by the way, Paul, I'm gonna be with you every step of the way, man. I've taken up residence in you and I'm living in you and I'm gonna do a work in you. How encouraging is that? Can you imagine in church, those are the promises that we've got today. Nothing to fear, people about Jesus and he's gonna be with us every single step of the way to the point of where Paul stays there another year and a half, continues to do what God has called him to do for the next year and a half. And then what we see happen here in the remainder of the chapter down to verse 23 is as he continues to minister and do that, And in verses 12 through 17, we see some of the Jews drag Paul off to the Roman governor, Galileo. I mean, think about that for a moment. I mean, God's promised you this, and then what happens? Oh, you get drug off. But even while you're drug off of there, God continues to do what he said he was gonna do, and so nothing happens to him. And what this guy says, Galileo pretty much tells them to figure it out for themselves, all these people that that have drug him off to him, because he says that the Christians aren't breaking any Roman laws. You guys figure it out. I'm not gonna step into this. And so finally Paul gets released and they beat somebody else and they do something else to somebody else and and Paul gets released and Paul finally leaves Corinth and he heads back to Ephesus with his two new friends, Priscilla and Aquila. And he ends up leaving that couple there in Ephesus and he continues to travel on to different places and verse 23 tells us this as the band comes back up. After spending some time there in Antioch, he departed and went from one place to the next throughout the region of Galatia, Pagera, strengthening all the disciples. So even through discouragement, Paul worked through that. Paul did a work through that. And he kept his eyes focused on Jesus. He listened to what God had to say. He pressed into right real relationship. He did all of those things. That's what Paul does in those moments of discouragement. So what I wanna do this morning is this, is ask you a question to close. Are you discouraged? I don't wanna see hands. Just, are, you, are you discouraged? Is there some discouragement in you maybe? Maybe a circumstance or a situation or a relationship or, or something's going on. And I know I asked, have you been discouraged in the last month, three months, six months? But I'm, I'm just, are you discouraged right now? I mean, just look into your heart, ask yourself that question. Are you discouraged? 
Because hear me, church, what I know is this, is that every single one of us in this room will go through times of discouragement. Maybe a better question is this, what are you going to do about it when you do? Not if you do, but when you do. Circumstances and situations are going to happen. Stuff's going to go down. It's just, it's the way life goes. We live in a dark time. Difficulties are going to come. Struggles are going to happen. Things are going to work out the way that we had hoped or planned. So what are you going to do in those moments? What are you going to do about it this morning? Will you press into right real relationship? I mean, if you don't have relationship with someone, man, that is a, a lonely, lonely way to live. Not the way that God's created us. God's created us for relationship with him first and foremost. So maybe for you, step one is this, is coming to know him as Savior. Maybe he's stirring in your heart the reality that you need him as your Lord and Savior. And if that's the case, then, then the, one of the best ways to work through discouragement is to know him as Savior. Because I'm telling you, when you get your eyes off of you and you look to the reality of the cross and what that means, man, your perspective changes and it changes everything. So maybe step one is coming to know Jesus. Maybe step two is finding some people in your life that's gonna hold you up. That's gonna encourage you and love on you and walk with you. That's gonna do those kinds of things with you. That's gonna love you and care for you and be committed to you to see you grow and mature in Jesus. Right, like-minded, real, get off social media for a moment and get plugged into somebody. Have coffee with somebody. Invite them to your house for dinner. Go do something with a real person and get off the screen for a moment. Right, real relationships. The second thing you do, keep doing what God's called you to do. Even in the difficulty, the frustration, the aggravation, the questioning, the being uncertain, man, you keep doing what you know God has called you to do. And for every one of us in this room as a believer is to make disciples. But I'm discouraged. How can I raise somebody up to follow Jesus if I'm discouraged? That's the perfect place to be. How can I? Because what you do is you don't rely on yourself, but you rely on God instead. And as you saw this morning, there's a ton of people in our world, there's a ton of people in this room that's been discouraged over the last six months. So what that tells me is that there's plenty of people in this room that are like-minded, that have got the same needs, that mean maybe you could step into whatever their discouragement is and walk with them through it. Because maybe that's what God's doing in your life. He's raising you up and he's showing you and his grace and mercy has allowed you to go through whatever circumstance or situation is for the purpose of having you walk along with somebody else so you can plug into and pour into and help them walk through it as well. So you're gonna keep doing what God's called you to do. And the last thing I'm gonna ask you is this, will you let God be God and do what he does? Which is what we know about God is this, is that he encourages in the moments of discouragement. That's what God does. And he's always got the cross there to remind us. We've just got to get our eyes off of us. We've got to get our eyes off of the situation and the circumstance. We've got to get our eyes on what matters the most, and that's Jesus. So will you let God be God and do what he does? Will you allow him to encourage you and remind you some of the promises that he has made to all believers everywhere through this great and glorious book? So we do those three things all the while we pray and we seek God in every difficult time, knowing that in the middle of whatever has brought you feelings of discouragement, that you press into the Lord and allow him to do what he's promised and said that he will do. God, help us this morning in this place. God, I, I can imagine the discouragement in this room. God, thank you for the honesty of the people in this place this morning to be willing to raise their hand and say, yeah, I've been discouraged in the last few months. 
I've went through some stuff or I've had to battle through some stuff or I've had some things go on. And God, and I believe that there's people in this room that love you that have went through, went through that. And God, I believe that you do that to raise us up, to show us how much more we need you. God, to show us and help us be able to, to, to walk with humility and compassion with other people. So God, whatever the need is in this room this morning, Lord, I pray that you meet it in a mighty way. God, remind us of the promises that you've made, of the work that you've done. Jesus, do a work in this place this morning. Encourage the soul that needs it. God, love on the heart that needs you. God, save the heart that doesn't belong to you. God, do a work in this place this morning. You are the God of encouragement. And we pray, amen. They're gonna lead us this morning in song. If you would stand, if you wanna come pray, if you need somebody to talk to, whatever we can do to walk with you and love on you and show you what Jesus is like. You be obedient to whatever God's called you to do.